With an observation and an important question, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. You don't just glue a couple of scriptures to your head and think, oh, I'm changed. Say, oh, glue a couple activities to your life because you're now a Christian. So do a couple Christian things and maybe get a Christian shirt and get a Christian hat and get Christian socks and Christian shoes. And I didn't even know they made Christian shoes, but in case they do, said, well, I dress like a Christian. I look like a Christian. I walk like a Christian. But are you changed? Are you changed? Transformed. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's said that many think of changing the world, but few think of changing themselves. But how do you change? Is it even possible? Where does it start? We'll get some answers today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll find those answers in Romans 12, verse 2. We'll learn that change is possible, but it will be a battle, and that battle takes place first in the mind. To explain, here's Pastor Ed. So please take your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 12, and if you want to get ahead, Ephesians chapter 6. We are studying through the book of Romans, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we've come to chapter 12 in Romans where we are learning the application of the first 11 chapters. The first 11 chapters, Paul has taught us great and wonderful doctrine, taught us truths about God and how to have a relationship with God, intimacy with God, how to abide in Him, how to relate to His grace and His mercy, how to live for God our entire lives. It's never too late to turn your eyes to Jesus, never. And so when we turn a corner in the book of Romans to chapter 12, it is from this time forth all the way to the end of the book, which we will finish, all the way to the end, it's all application. So don't get confused if you've just joined us and are thinking, wow, is that all Romans is about? Is do, do, do? No. Except that the first 11 chapters was all about what God has done for us. And you know, once you and I learn and absorb what God has done for us, then it becomes very easy to live a life empowered by his Holy Spirit, to live a life for him. You know, at the end of the wonderful hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, we sing these words, this sentence, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You know, when we sing that, we're singing a paraphrase of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's a great summary that this life that God has given us sparks in us a response where it demands us to give back all that we are. Not little bits and pieces, not the things that we want to do, but a wholehearted surrender to the things of God, not holding anything back. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 opens up, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And that's where Paul is. You know, we've been asking and answering the question, haven't we? How do I know the will of God? 
for my life, for the life of our church, for my life, for my family, for the situations that are in my life? How do I know the will of God? And Paul says, here's the pathway to discovering the will of God. Wholeheartedly give yourself to him. He gave himself for you. Now you give yourself to him. Go for it. Don't hold anything back. It's a holy thing to do. It's a acceptable thing to do. It's reasonable for us to surrender our lives to him. We want to know, don't we, what's God doing in my life? Well, you know, God wants you to know that. Oh, God, well, what are you doing in my life? Well, God wants you to know what he's doing in your life. God, what do you want me to do in my life? Well, you know what? God wants you to know what he wants you to do in life. As much as you want to know, God wants you to know his will. He's not playing a game of hide and seek with you, trying to make you figure things out and wrestle with things and make it a miserable existence discerning the will of God. I believe God wants you to know probably more than you want to know his will for your life individually. Out of relationship comes surrender and mutual trust. And so don't hold anything back. And as we ask the question at the end of verse 1, okay, I'm with you. I'm willing to surrender my life. I want to surrender my life. The natural question is, well, then how? How do I do that? What, is that? what does that look like exactly? And remember last week we dove into chapter 12, verse 2, and it started with a negative. It said, okay, you want to know the will of God for your life? Look, don't be conformed to this world. Or in another translation, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Because we learned, didn't we, that the world has a message and a methodology of getting that message out constantly, continually, and if we're not careful, we will not reject this world. We'll wholesale embrace this world and its system and thereby lose out. Lose out on all that God has for us. Well, we combine this negative now with a positive in verse 2. Notice, do not be conformed to this world, but, here's the alternative, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it's simple. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Do you know there's a great battle going on in the church today, and often we confuse the battle. We sometimes think that the battles in our lives are with other people. That's the real battle. Got to put my dukes up with other people. Or we think that the battle is with the government. And if we could just change the government, the battle would be over. The battle's with the neighbor. The battle's with a husband. The battle's with the spouse. The battle's with the kid. But listen, the Bible says this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. There is a spiritual battle going on that sometimes involves other human beings. But listen, haven't you seen this to be true, that the real battle that goes on in your life and mine is right here between our ears? A battle for the mind. A battle for the thinking of your life. Or put more simply, a battle for what you will believe or not believe. There's always this constant battle of believing the truth or believing the lie. That's exactly what threw all of humanity into sin in the first place was Adam and Eve believing the lie and not the truth. And the real battle in our lives is in our minds. 
where our minds are, where we point our attention, who we submit to, who we surrender to, our minds, right here. It's so important a battle that I want you to see. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. It's such an important place for battle that God has made provision to protect your mind when he lists out the spiritual armor. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we've gone through this section in depth when we studied Ephesians a few years ago. There's even a study packet downstairs on spiritual warfare that we went into these areas in depth. And I'd encourage you, if that's something that interests you, to grab those studies and begin to study with us on the spiritual armor. But notice... In Ephesians chapter 6, pick up with me in verse 14. As Paul winds his letter down to the church in Ephesus, he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Pause there for a second. Understand, Paul is chained to a Roman guard, and he's using this Roman guard as a picture as a mental picture of what it's like to put on this spiritual armor. And I believe, and I suggested as much when we went through this study, that as much as you in the morning put on physical clothing piece by piece to go out into the world, I believe it's just as important for you to spiritually, even mentally think through putting on each piece of the armor before you head out into the world. Because God has given these things to us spiritually to guard and protect us. And he starts right there. He says, put on that belt of truth. Make sure that you are girded with truth. And then he says, as he goes on, he says, having girded your waist with truth, verse 14, put on that breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, verse 16, taking the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What a powerful weapon to believe God quenches all the fiery darts of the evil one. Amazing, trusting God. Then he says, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Think about that for a second. God gives you a helmet, the helmet of salvation, so that we might put it on to protect our minds because our minds are very valuable. The helmet protects the head, the mind of the Christian You know, if it wasn't for my salvation, if it wasn't for my relationship with Jesus Christ, this world would really bum me out more than it does, man. If I didn't have the right perspective on life, if I didn't have an eternal perspective with that helmet of salvation, the world would bum... I mean, think about it. If this world was all there was, what hope would there be? See, the helmet of salvation helps to protect us in our minds taking everything into account in relationship to our salvation or our connection with Jesus Christ. Not only do we have, friends, listen, not only do we have hope for today, but the helmet of salvation reminds us that we not only would have hope and strength for today, but we also have hope and strength for tomorrow. That this world is not all there is. It's passing away. But those who trust in the Lord, those who do the will of God will abide forever. Oh, the helmet of salvation, it protects our mind. I mean, we'd be stressed out if the world, this world is all we had. We would be completely lost. But because we are saved, we are connected to the God who created this world. And we're connected to the God that reveals his will to us every day. Think about it this way. One of the privileges that I have as a pastor is to remind you and to remind me of one central theme. And that is 
that Jesus Christ is alive today and is coming back again very soon. Amen. Now, some of you, some of you, you're like, okay, thanks. He's coming back. I've heard that my whole life. But see, maybe you don't have the helmet of salvation on. Maybe you're not thinking through eternally that the best thing in the world that can happen to you is to see Jesus face to face. To have all the culmination of history come together in an instant of time so that all that God has promised will come to pass in your life. Oh, but no, what we do is we exchange the helmet of salvation for everyday hassles. I mean, think about it in a different way. Some, some have given up on Jesus far too quickly. So they got the helmet on salvation. I prayed that prayer. I, I asked for the forgiveness of my sins. It's great. It's wonderful. But then you went off to the rest of your life, and you pretty much lived the same kind of life you did even before you prayed. It wasn't that big a deal to you. Perhaps it wasn't even genuine in that prayer. You just followed through. You had some emotional response, but you were never born again. And so... What you think is happening, well, you got to come to church, so you come to church. And you got to have a Bible, so you got a Bible in the house somewhere. And you got to pray, so you pray over your meals. And, and you got all these types of things going on, but there's no connection, there's no intimacy, there's no, there's no change. And instead, you're just kind of living for the world. That's not the life of the believer. When you put that helmet of salvation on, I mean, when you watch sports teams, you can tell what team the guy's on by what helmet they're wearing. Have you noticed? I mean, there's an identification that comes on when a guy puts on a helmet. He says, well, we know what team that brother's on because he's wearing that helmet. And that helmet says, this is the team he's on. You know, when you put on the helmet of salvation, you're identifying yourself with Jesus. You're reminding yourself and all those around you, for that matter, that you are on the team of Jesus. And by the way, you're on the winning team. Unlike the Broncos, you're on the winning. Ah, that was an easy one. So I want to make sure you're still with me. Don't throw anything at me. We'll be all right. When you put a helmet on, you identify yourself. You protect your mind. You're reminded that your life is eternal, not just temporal. You know, when you put the helmet of salvation on, you're also reminded that you'll be reunited with your loved ones that died in the Lord. There's hope that not all is lost, that, you know, as painful as it might be, there is hope for the believer. When you have that helmet of salvation on, it helps to clear your thoughts. It helps to keep things in order. It helps to even protect you from going off in another direction because you know, you know what, I'm saved. I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't talk me out of it. There's nothing you can do to pull me away from the love of God. Listen, there is no way you can keep from being conformed to this world unless you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. If they both go together. If your mind is being transformed, then you're not being conformed to this world. And if you're not being conformed to this world, then your mind is being regenerated and changed by the power of God. We can't go on thinking like the world thinks and expect to live a life that pleases God. A change of mind has to happen. Back in Romans chapter 12 now, notice again verse 2. I want you to mark that word transformed. You can go ahead and circle that word transformed in Romans 12 verse 2. Draw an arrow up there and right next to it the word Butterfly. You could write the Greek word. The Greek word is metamorpho, but butterfly is a lot easier to write. Metamorpho reminds you of a English word. What does that sound like to you? Metamorphosis. I can't spell that one either, so butterfly works for me. Because that's the greatest practical picture that we have of what this original word means. It means to be thoroughly changed from the inside out. 
And in order for that little caterpillar to become a butterfly, it needs to be completely changed. It can't just be a little 10-year-old's project. We go, well, let's try this out, Dad. What do you think? Let's go grab some caterpillars, and we'll glue some wings to it and throw them up in the air and see if they fly. You know what's going to happen? You'll glue the wings on it. I don't know where you got the wings, but you're going to glue them on there, and you're going to throw the caterpillar up in the air, and what's going to happen? Boom. And then the caterpillar is going to give you some attitude and say, what are you doing? Give me six months and I will be a glorious butterfly. But a change needs to take place. That's what that word is. A change that takes place in your mind. You don't just glue a couple of scriptures to your head and think, oh, I'm changed. Say, oh, glue a couple activities to your life because you're now a Christian. So do a couple Christian things and maybe get a Christian shirt and get a Christian hat and get Christian socks and Christian shoes and... I didn't even know they made Christian shoes, but in case they do, I said, well, I dress like a Christian, I look like a Christian, I walk like a Christian, but are you changed? Are you changed? Transformed. You know, it's the same Greek word that the gospel writers use to describe Jesus when he was transfigured up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was changed. There was a glorious revelation of the deity of Jesus Christ right there. It was beautiful and wonderful, transfigured. It means total change, not to go back again. Yes, caterpillars are changed into butterflies, but butterflies aren't changed into caterpillars. Once a butterfly, always a butterfly. Isn't that great? That's the work of God in your life, that God has given you new life, not to go back to the old. You've been changed from the inside out. It's glorious. So then, Ed, how am I changed then? How does my mind get transformed? How does it get renewed? Well, I'm glad you asked. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me show you. Our thoughts redirected. Our minds cleansed. How does that happen? How do we just stop thinking the way we used to think? How do our minds get transformed? Well, it's very simple. The answer is the Holy Spirit does the changing using the very Word of God. How am I changed? How am I washed? How am I renewed? How am I transfigured in my mind? How does that metamorphosis take place? Well, the Holy Spirit uses God's Word to change you day by day. Notice Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 25 with me, would you? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Pause there for a second. You didn't know it was a Bible study on husbands today, did you? And so, if you're not a husband right now, you probably just checked out. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a husband. And maybe some of you wives, your elbows are getting. Hey, it's for you, buddy. Been waiting for you to, waiting for Pastor Ed to drop the Ephesians 5 bomb on you for a long time, man. We just get the studies off the web. I dropped that bomb a long time ago. Because it's true. This is a passage of Scripture primarily aimed at husbands, yes. And if you're not a husband, don't check out. If you might be a lousy husband right now, don't check out. Because this is the answer for you. Yes, it's true. Husbands, love your wives. We don't want to just gloss over it. It's true. Yes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yes, yes, it's true. And how, did Jesus, how does Jesus love the church? Unconditionally. 
self-sacrificially, continually. I mean, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't drop this, hey, hey, I I used to love you unconditionally, but I've got a condition now. So if you can just meet this condition, which usually in our minds would be impossible, then, then maybe I'll start loving you again. But that's not how Jesus loves you. And husbands, that's not how you're to love your wives. And so for those that it applies, whether you're here today or you're listening in on the radio, we don't want to gloss over that. Yes, it is a passage for husbands. Take it to the bank. Live it. Let the Holy Spirit live it out in your lives. But don't dismiss this verse as being only for husbands because we get great insight on the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Notice, let's read on. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That is fantastic. This is the work of Jesus in your life. He uses the word, his word, and he washes you and cleanses you and renews your mind with the word. It's God's word. It's God's word in the hands of the Holy Spirit that changes your life completely, wholeheartedly. That's why here at this fellowship, I pray that we never abandon the word of God here. Ever, never, ever that we will stand upon the Word of God, that we will teach the Word of God, that you will have one in your laps, that you will use one, that it will be yours, that even if you've come from somewhere, you go, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe you come from a place that, where you think you don't need a Bible at church. Listen, you need a Bible here. You need one for yourself. You need to look it up yourself. We're not going to put the things up here for you to look. We want you to look on your lap. We want you to learn the Bible. We want you to learn where the books of the Bible are. We want you to learn the big themes of the Bible. Remember the book of Romans? The big theme of the Bible is the gospel of grace. You should have that written down somewhere. Of God's great grace in your life. You find a place where, you know, if you don't have a Bible at church, then you probably don't have it at home either. You don't bring a Bible to church, you probably don't have one in the car. You don't have a Bible in church, you probably don't care too much about the Word of God. I guess you could have forgotten it on occasion, but that's why we have them in the back of the chairs. Take one. Let it be our gift to you. I mean, we're serious about the Word of God here. Why? Because it's through the Word of God that you get washed and you get cleansed. You don't, please, don't, don't ever go to a church to hear the opinions of men. It's like, oh, we just want to hear what the greatest opinion, what's the latest opinion. No, you don't want to hear the opinions of men. You need to hear the Word of God. You get the opinions of men all week. You got to hear the Word of God in your life. Listen, if we, if Calvary Royal ever abandons the Word of God, go to another church. That's my commitment to you. Just go somewhere that's going to teach you the Bible. We're not here, in, our, in my estimation, on my heart, to play games, to play religion, just to gather. No, you guys need the Word of God. And every time it's open, listen, you're washed and you're cleansed. Every time in a disciplined situation with your kids, you open the Bible with them, you begin to wash your kids with the Word. Every time, husbands, you read the Bible to your wife, you're washing her. Every time you give a word, you know, your answers from the word of God, you're washing her. And that's how God, that's how he washes you and me. Pastor Ed Taylor on the cleansing power of the word of God. The word is not only a cleansing agent, it's a change agent as well. More about that next time on Abounding Grace. 
In addition to listening to us on the radio, there are a few other ways to access these teachings. You can go to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Download that from the App Store or Google Play by searching for Calvary Aurora. We're also on OnePlace.com. We're really excited about this month's offer in light of the times we're living in. How close are we to the time of the end that the Bible speaks of? In 25 Signs, We Are Near the End, Don Stewart examines the Scripture, unveiling what it has to say about coming events and the end. Many Christians avoid books like Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation because they find it difficult to understand. But Don Stewart will present it in an easy-to-understand way. It's our pick of the month, available for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We ask that you call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you're not ordering resources but would just like to make a donation to the ministry, you can do so online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but come back tomorrow when we'll return to Romans on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.